You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome in to another edition of the Pacific Post-Ups. Nick, one more team's been eliminated from the race, but we're still here covering all five until the season's done, Matt. Yep, it's um, obviously we, we talked about last week that it was going to be a, a pretty interesting week for the division, obviously with a few different things to move around with seedings and certain teams having their chances of a postseason success taken out of their hands and, and um, upon elimination. So, no, always a bit to talk about. It's kind of this is our last sort of little calm before the storm week before uh, the postseason will kick off next week. Um, we're all trying to work out what day we'll be able to cover in some play-in action um, as one team from LA will be in that situation. Um, but no, it should be, I'm, it's, you know, getting excited for playoffs. I think it's always, you can be, have a little bit of a lull around this time of year in the NBA season. Um, but to be fair, situations with the play-in and some seeding battles not being set has made things a little bit more exciting, put, put a bit more, uh, you know, put a bit more on the line in some of these uh, you know, games in, in early April and late March. So um, that should be an interesting postseason next week. But one team's not going to be there, Lou, and that's probably who we should kick off with um, on taking a dip. Yeah, absolutely. We're not talking about the Sacramento Kings. We are, of course, talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, who, after their loss to the Phoenix Suns and a couple of other results around the league over the last couple of days, were officially ruled out of the playoffs. Um, it's their seventh straight loss. Nick's put a quote here from Frank Vogel saying, we've been playing for our lives for the last five, six, seven games, and it just didn't change anything. Um, obviously, Anthony Davis made a comment about more starting lineups, 39 of them, than wins this season, 31. Before we dive into what the last week has looked like, Nick, they just they seemed like there was no magical gear for this Lakers team to, to drive into to get themselves into the playing game. No, and it, it sort of comes back to some of those quotes that we'd been – well, some of the reports have been bandied about about this Lakers team about sort of how they were kind of waiting for the inevitable to finish rather than sort of getting geared up by the opportunity of having, you know, very much the situation in their own hands in the last few weeks of the season. Um, you know, that they, they weren't, although they probably were going to have to rely with some results going their way, they had enough games that they could win off their own back that they could get in the playing situation themselves. And they didn't. And it is disappointing as as Vogel said that you know it did it didn't change anything in terms of their ability to you know get overrun in like short patches of a game that can really just in, entirely wreck your chance for victory you know it still hasn't been the consistent effort on the defensive end it still hasn't it just still hasn't clicked for this team um, both in terms of, you know, a basketball product on court, but also a mentality thing that it's at least what it's looked like. There's been yeah, very few positives over the last week. I mean, we'll touch on a couple of them because there's really not too many, um, but it's almost, 
like I said, I think not last week, I think the week before when we were doing scorching lukewarm or chilly, I said that the, this team needed to miss the playing situation. And I think this is the situation that the Lakers needed um, to really take a good hard look at themselves, what they're going to look like next season and what this entire franchise looks like. It, it was, yeah, it was a telling year. And, and this last couple of months, I think has been a, a time of reflection for the Lakers. It, I get the thing that probably I think is most frustrating from a Lakers perspective is that at the end of the day, they've lost out their spot to the Spurs, a team that we've kind of gone back yeah. and forth on how hard were they really trying? I mean, they traded one of their better players at the deadline. They obviously moved on from veterans like Thaddeus Young. It was just confusing. Um, you know, to lose to, to lose out to a Pelicans team that was striving just as hard as the Lakers is one thing. But yeah, I'm not 100% sure whether the Spurs care that they're there or not. I think deep yeah. down that front office might like another high lottery pick, but you've got to keep trying to compete when Pop's on the seat, I think. Um, but yeah, it, 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 this team feels like they've been wanting to get away from each other since about January and like mm. they've just been going through the motions. And I'd say there are a couple of players who are almost relieved when this monkey was finally off their back and the, the pressure was over because it was getting yeah, pretty unbearable to watch. It, yeah, it was it was certainly interesting for me that Anthony Davis did make that comment about more starting lineups and wins, considering both his injuries and his positional preferences have led to a variety of those starting lineups having to change, uh, mm. having to experiment with different centers that they can play. You know, they obviously started with DeAndre Jordan. They'd worked around with Dwight Howard. Stanley Johnson played a bit at the five. LeBron played a bit at the five. Um, all various machinations to either keep things afloat while Davis was out or keep Anthony Davis happy. Um, but yeah, as mentioned, they did lose their last seven games going four of 16 on the last 20. That loss to Phoenix was, was bad. I mean, LeBron was obviously hurt, not, not able to play, but uh, it will be certainly interesting to see if he, if he rolls out of bed to try to hang 40 on OKC to get back in that scoring title race. Cause I think that will tell us a lot about where LeBron's priorities have been this season. Um, but I think it's very fitting that Phoenix with a team to finally bury their postseason hopes. Yeah, I think um, he'll wait and see. Maybe you get a word from his buddy Draymond about how many players that Golden State rest tomorrow, and then he might suddenly get a miraculous recovery because he loves playing against the Warriors. It's the only game he really gets up for. Um, but yeah, it, 100% sort of a, a, a fitting, fitting result and a fitting uh, opponent to to get the Lakers out of the postseason. Um, you know, I, I think back to that uh, photo of LeBron posting up Jay Crowder with uh, Andre Drummond mimicking him on the bench. And um, the Lakers haven't beaten them in 10 games since then. And um, it's kind of like, yeah, it's a few of these games have had plenty of chances and they weren't terrible against Phoenix. Like the first half, I thought they were pretty okay. Um you know, Howard, I think, has been, you know, one of the, the shining lights in sort of the last couple of weeks. He's got a lot more burn, and he's, I think he's been pretty good. Um, certainly going to uh, get another suitor um, in the offseason and, you know, probably will get paid a little bit more than the minimum um, by some team who, who would really like some reserve center time and a spot starter. But, yeah, so that... That side of it, I think, was disappointing. But, yeah, just getting blown out in the third quarter. It's just this team is just so easy to smack in the mouth. And it's like – it's a really bad comparison. But it's like it's like when bullies 
try to find an easy target in the schoolyard because they know they're not going to do much back. And I know that sounds like a really ugly comparison, but it's kind of true with his Lakers team because once you punch them in the mouth, they you can roll over them so quickly and so easily. And you're like, oh, they're not going to come back in the game. And there's been so, so much evidence of this happening through the season that they're a team you, you can just roll over. And once you get that sort of first little scoring run going, it can turn into a, a medium scoring run. And that, you know, like Phoenix have done a lot of t- to, to a lot of teams this season is that they turn into a buzzsaw and you can really have a quarter to blow a game open. So, I mean, that was well on display from Phoenix. So as much of it, as much as it was a highlight um, and, you know, a sort of um, a perfect example of the basketball that they played this season, it also was a prime example of the Lakers' effort and lack thereof. I think the thing that stands out with this team is the most competitive guy on the court is Russell Westbrook, and he's almost the guy you don't want trying to put the team on his back because then you get a lot of shots that are ill-thought out. Uh, LeBron, obviously, with he when, it, when he gets into the postseason, he is still one of the most competitive guys in the league. I don't doubt that. And Anthony Davis has just not really ever had that monster in him. Like he's such a good player, but he just mm. he doesn't seem to have that. There's no for a guy that's drawn a lot of comparisons to to Kevin Garnett throughout his career. There's none of that kind of spirit in him, um, which is not okay. But, yeah. No, you, you can't. He's not a guy to put a team on his back. So it, it's it's difficult. You know, as much as Kent Bazemore wants everyone to know that he's always ready, those kind of guys aren't really going to be the ones that are going to get you over the line. So. We've been through it a number of times. I mean, it was the front office, the team they put together, the the attitudes of the superstars, the health of the superstars. There's so many reasons where this went wrong. I don't personally blame Frank Vogel anywhere near as much as the playing group seems to. Uh, but it, it, it's a pretty telling statement that this team couldn't even couldn't even get to the end of the season or the last day of the season and stay in contention for that spot, which is you don't need an overly competitive record to be the 10th seed in the West at the moment, Nick. No. And I think it'll be really disappointing considering they've got a couple of games left to go. If they somehow find like a rocket in these last couple of games and it's like, uh, just, yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, Davis has been okay. I mean, you know, played the last few games averaging 24 points, 11.3 rebounds, five assists and 1.3 blocks per game. But And then he had some pretty interesting sort of comments um, in an article um, from the LA Times by Dan Boyk and just some interesting quotes. Um, really throughout the whole article, you know, talking about, you know, left it out on the floor just like I did in the playoffs last year as well, give myself a chance, help give our team a chance. I'm not going to sit down and quit if I feel like I can at least get out there 60%, 70%, whatever. And then sort of fired back a little bit. Obviously, he's under a much bigger light uh, spotlight than he was in New Orleans. And, you know, it's, the quotes that he had to say were quite interesting. So this is what I've learned about injuries. Last year when I wasn't playing, people were saying, AD's giving up on his team. It's the playoffs. AD has to play. He's got to play. And when I went out there to play, I got hurt again. They said, who was his trainer? Who let him play? So what the F do you want me to do? When I play, it's a problem. It's a problem when I don't play. At the end of the day, I've got to do what's best for me and how my body feels. And we go from there. I'm not worried about who's saying what or who thinks this about me because none of them have stepped on the floor and played. And the ones that did play, they should understand. These aren't little ticky-tack injuries. What do we think about those quotes, Lou? Are we because I'm still like as much as I'm still a big believer in Anthony Davis, the basketball player, from what we have seen um, to a degree. Maybe not as much as other people, but how much sort of 
how much of this is out of his hands, really? Is it just simply bad luck with a couple of these injuries, particularly the ones that it can kind of be sort of bang, bang ones out of nowhere? First, let me preface this by saying players being forced to play with injuries is is never, you know, particularly if it's by an actual team, is never acceptable. Um, you know, we've, we've been through this a bunch and obviously you being a Golden State fan probably understand that better than most. But there's, look, Andrew and, and Anthony Davis can't change the fact that he was born, despite the fact that he was extremely blessed genetically, but also genetically with a body that's prone to injuries. I think where he went wrong was he came into this season bulkier, not fatter necessarily, but it was probably mostly muscle, but he came in heavier. Um, and that's probably just after, you know, years of everyone telling him he needs to be the five, he needs to be more of a back to the basket guy. You know, you listen to enough uh, Cha- uh, Shaq and Chuck at halftime telling him he's not playing like a real big man. And I think that does wear on players after a while. Mm. I think when he plays heavy, he's going to be more injury prone because he's already pretty injury prone as it is. I hope he's learned his lesson. I'd like to see him come in more of that. You know, you compare it if you compare him to someone like Kevin Garnett or even Tim Duncan, the way he lost weight towards the end of his career to elongate it. I think that's worth noting. Um, yep. The other thing I'll say is, as much as the the big market fans are a problem, this is what Anthony Davis signed up for. He, he yeah. did everything he could to get from one of the smallest markets in the league to one of the biggest, well, the biggest, arguably, or second biggest, and this is what you sign up for. It's not all big marketing deals and, and championship parades. So I have sympathy for his health problems. I can't say I have a sympathy a lot for outside of that because this is what he wanted. Yeah. I think it's, um, that sums it up pretty well. It's, it just, yeah. I'll talk about it a little bit later in, in the takes, but I think, yeah, it, it raises some interesting questions for next year. Every time AD gets injured, because, there's only he's only you've only got so much luck as it as a um in terms of your health. That's all I'll say. Um, one positive I think though at least that the Lakers have maybe can take out of the back end of this season is the fact that Westbrook you know has 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 long been the scapegoat of the season. He start of the season was terrible. He's been pretty good. Um, the last week and a bit. Last 10 games, 22 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, 7.1 assists on shooting splits of 47, 41 and a half from deep. Um, a pretty gross 64.6% from the line. Um, are we, are we, has, has the last couple of weeks sort of given the Lakers front office a little bit more confidence in the fact that, you know, Westbrook is someone worth keeping around next year? Or does it more highlight his inability to fit in um you know, that he's more of a square peg in a round hole situation given the presence of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Look, look you are a presser, you are right. It's a positive that he's managed to turn it around. Um, to answer kind of his fit versus his value at this point, he's not going to be, he's certainly not going to be Washington Russ, which is weird because that was only a year ago. He's definitely not going to be Houston or OKC Russ. But I think what we have proven this year is there's probably a version of him still that would be valuable with the right kind of team. Now you're, you're probably needing to pair him with a team that's both defensively sound and has bigs that can shoot to give him the space. It's difficult. Like, would he be the world's coolest sixth man in Denver playing next to Nikola Jokic or something like that? Absolutely. Never going to happen. <laughs> but like, there's a couple of versions of that where you'd go, I could see it working, but you're relying on, Big men that are high-level shooters and a, and a defense that would work structurally or him accepting a sixth-man role, which yeah. the salary will stop that from happening 
uh, sight unseen. So if there's no buyout coming, I'd say West uh, at any point next year, they could trade him for the Rockets. The Rockets could buy him out. But if there's no buyout coming, I'd say next year is going to be almost as tough as this one. But there's a mm. version here where an older Westbrook on the right team, accepting the right role, is certainly looking like a player that his fan base doesn't, you know, despise every time he touches the ball. 100%. Flicking things over to the team that dealt uh, the final blow to the Lakers season, uh, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, a franchise record 63 wins now on the year. Um, this team just continues to go from strength to strength. Um, you know, they have been one and three in their last four, but they have you know, started to put a premium on resting players, which is something that you can very much do um, in the position that they are at the the tippy top of the Western Conference. Um, you know, Booker had an awesome game against the Lakers, um, which in that game that they won 121 to 110. Again, like I said, that third quarter really blew things open for them. Um, 22 and 13 from Yaten, someone who, you know, I know we, we've talked about sort of, Keen to sort of see his back end of the season and his role into the playoffs. Um, big loss to OKC, but no Booker and Aiton in that one. Pokerzewski went off for a triple double. Um, the game that I would actually mind focusing on a little bit more, Lou, is the game against Memphis, which they lost one fourteen to one twenty two. Considering the Grizzlies were out, Jar Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, and Stephen Adams, and the Suns were full strength. Um, do we put much into that? Um, matchup considering it is you know something that we could be talking about at the point at the end of the postseason um firstly i'd encourage anyone that hasn't already to go look at the box score from that game and just enjoy some of the memphis players that had tremendously good nights um uh, santi aldama um his reverse jam was uh one of my favorite moments of the season <laughs> it was great absolutely i mean you, you not he's, a, he's obviously a, a pretty good player but a bit of a D'Anthony Melton revenge game against the Phoenix Suns. Um, you know, I think even Eves Pond's got a bit of a run and did some funny stuff dunking the ball. But um, no, I'm not worried. And it's probably purely for two things. One, you do get these weird games where you play a bunch of players together that don't usually play together and you can't really scout for them. You know, you, you that Memphis starting lineup, you know what you're scouting. Adams is going to set hard screens. Jackson's going to do a lot of popping. Morant's going to get downhill whenever he can. You've got a couple of shooters around him. You know what you're planning for. It's really difficult to plan for these teams sometimes when you're putting guys into larger roles than what they're used to. Sure, it's a, I guess it's slightly worrying, probably more worrying than anything for Phoenix that some of those role players might have got some more confidence playing against the Suns. Uh, but no, I'd be more worried if they, weirdly, if they lost that game to the full-strength Memphis side than mm. uh, that side. But, you know, Nothing to worry about too much. I also think this Phoenix team is getting really good now at toggling up and down the effort as and when appropriate. Uh, and what the, what they're able to do now as they've earned, like you've said, is they've earned the right to basically, they could do whatever they want, they want the last couple of games. They're so clear in the one seat, it's not going to matter. Yep. Um, they've broken their franchise record. You know, they, they don't you don't hang banners for 67 wins. So um, they can kind of do what they want here. And nothing that I saw out of that Memphis game that concerned me, but... From your end, was there anything that popped out of that one that would have you worried for the postseason? Uh, I mean, not particularly. Um, not not a huge one. I think. I mean, Dylan Brooks was really good in that game, and he's someone. I, you know, if we're talking about guys who are going to have a big role, at least out of the guys who did play in that Memphis game, I still think that he is. I think he, he, a late his late season acquisition, uh, him coming in, I think is massive um, for the Grizz. Just you know, strengthening what it is already a pretty damn deep uh, basketball team. So, yeah, not not a huge one, but I think you're right. It's 
it's hard to get a scouting report sort of going for all of those guys and you're sort of wondering what you're wanting to do and and you're right I think that the Suns have got themselves into a very professional position and it's a word I've used to describe in the last couple of weeks is just that they're able to sort of you know I mean they were they were right in that game right until late it's not like blown out by this team by any stretch of the imagination so no I, I don't think there there's too much to worry about at the moment um they had a you know an interesting game against the Clippers today which they lost was it 109 to 113 and um didn't really play any of their big guys in that one um with uh but then they almost won that game in the last quarter uh, with a, a monster comeback uh with uh, ish wainwright playing a really good game off the bench so it's just showing how deep this phoenix side is as well you know talk about memphis's death in that game but Phoenix have got a lot of guys that they can draw on when they need to. You know, if there's an injury that happens out of the blue, um, I think particularly, Luke, considering how worried we were about their front court rotation last year, I think they're as deep as it gets um, in that spot at the moment. Um, you know, if Biombo goes out, if JaVale's, you know, struggling and gets into foul trouble, I think they'd be pretty confident putting someone like Ish Wainwright into certain games um, as a part of the front court. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's not many teams sitting in a better position heading into the postseason than the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, they, they're in such a good spot at the moment. I, all I'd say to Suns fans or anyone observing the league is read absolutely nothing into any of the Suns games between now and the end of the season. Use that 63-win uh, you know, season, which no doubt they might add another one or two as your sample size for what this team's going to be in the playoffs. They're, they're going to be smart about what they do it now. Um, just quickly before we move on to the the Clippers, it's worth that the listeners note that in Nick's lot notes for their loss to the Thunder, he said they felt the wrath of a Poku triple-double. Don't need to elaborate on it. Just want our listeners to have an insight into the mind of Nick Boylan. Um, it's twisted. Let's – everything about Poku is twisted. Let's <laughs> let's talk about the Clippers. Um, you mentioned that they beat uh, Suns today, and you know, I, I was going to say this about the Suns, but I saved it for the Clippers – Losing to this Clippers team now when PG is back isn't necessarily losing to your regulation eight seed because it was an eight seed that then added a, a guy that's, you know, definitely an all-NBA guy um, when he's healthy and has been on MVP ballots before as well. Uh, obviously, that Phoenix side, they did had, uh, have no Booker, no Paul, no Aiton, no Crowder, um, just over 20 minutes for Payne and Bridges. And while it does look close in the end, as you mentioned, the Suns came back late, the Clippers, when they were playing the majority of their rotation and, and, you know, giving it their best were fairly comfortable. Their lead got all the way out to 39 at one point. What I do want to mention is the return of Norm Powell, who came back mm. a lot quicker than expected from that broken foot. We talked about it happening last week on the pod and that kind of snuck up on us. Clippers medical staff seems to be uh, ticking a lot of boxes at the moment, but 24 points in just under 23 minutes, six of 10 from the field, nine of 10 from the line. The fact that he got to the line 10 times, and from what I saw, he looked as good as he always does athletically, which is super athletic. Norm Power could be a difference maker when you're talking, you know, how far they could push a team, you know, a, a, let's say a Memphis team or a Phoenix team here, because it could be a difference maker as far as beating the, the Timberwolves in that first playing game. Yeah, I think that him coming into this, I mean, we we're pretty buoyed and confident sort of with the Clippers getting PG back in there. We were always wondering if, it, you know, one of the two big guns was going to come back and, you know, they both came back what was going to happen. But, I don't know, Norman Powell's no Kawhi Leonard, but it gives PG and, and Tyron Lue just another weapon to use 
on a, you know, we talk about all the time on what what is a very deep basketball team. And he's just a really good three-level scorer, as I said. You can get to the line, hit, hit from the mid-range. He's pretty comfortable knocking down a corner three. He's actually a really efficient corner three shooter, um, which is one of the more premium shots in a team coached by Ty Lue. Um, it, it just gives him something else. And I don't think any team wants to go against this Clippers side at the moment. Um, you know, four and one since, yeah, Paul, Paul George came back and they're just rolling. They're a really fun team to watch, um, particularly in certain games, one of them, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But just having Powell and George, and then if you've got like a compliment, you've got, you still got Reggie Jackson going going out there doing his thing. Zub's battling in the post and, you know, and Morris as well, being able to stretch the floor. That's a like pretty okay starting five. And, and, you know, and this is a team that can mix and match lineups at will. You know, if you want, you want to go slightly smaller, you can slot in Nick Batum. You can get Terrence Mann out there. You want some three point shooting, have a bit of Luke Kennard. You want a bit of, variety in your front court check out Isaiah Hartenstein Amir Coffey can do a lot of different things on this team well they're very well equipped for the postseason and I think they're ready to wreak some havoc yeah you raised a good point about Norman Powell being a good corner three shooter the first thing I thought about was how when Marcus Morris first came to this team albeit playing alongside Kawhi Leonard as well as Paul George he went from a guy that was a pretty decent shooter for a big guy, you know, 37, 38%. He'd toggle up and down to, I'm pretty sure he was one of the league leaders in three-point efficiency last year. And he was just butter from the corners. It was like 50-something percent from the corners. And that's the beauty about, it will help this team now that PG's back of his gravity when Kawhi comes back if it's next year. You know, Nick Batum had pretty much a career year shooting-wise last year, not obviously points per game-wise. And someone like Norman Powell, someone like Robert Covington, just the gravity that they've got on this team is going to allow those guys to get really good, clean looks because you've got guys like Jackson and Kennard that can take the slightly tougher above the break catch and shoot threes. And then you've got Paul George, one of the best live dribble shooters in the league. Kawhi Leonard, one of the best general all-round scorers in the league when he comes back. This, If I was a role player right now and I wanted to get paid, I'd be yeah. telling my agent to get me to this, this side, particularly next year. So uh, their one loss was a tough OT loss to Chicago. Um, Bit of a bit of an incident at the end there, fouling DeRozan before the inbound. DeRozan gets fouled shooting the three, misses the third. Game goes to overtime. DeRozan had a monster night. Um, 34 and 7 for Reggie Jackson. Uh, 22 points, five times, four boards for PG. Almost a quiet night by his standards. But that also goes to show that they're four and one, and they, you know, obviously pushed one of the better teams in the East um, all the way to lose that game as well. Mm. Did you have any notes about that Chicago loss? Because I think there's one player in particular I want to talk about when we talk about that Milwaukee Bucks game. Yeah. Um, no, I just thought they were really good um, against the Bulls. They had every chance to win that game late, but um, DeRozan has just been a monster this season. Um, you know, we'll probably get some MVP moats, won't win it, um, but still had a, you know, a really, really good game. Shot the lights out from deep. You know, 16 to 36, obviously going to be a little bit better, you know, whenever the Clippers aren't sort of in 20, but um, thought they were pretty good. Did get killed a little bit on the offensive glass, 13 to 4, um, which was a little bit telling uh, in the end and gave up a lot of points in the paint, you know, 70 to 30 
sorry, 70 to 40. So yeah, plus, plus 30 in that category towards Chicago who have, you know, got Patrick Williams back. Um, you know, Vooch had 22 points and 14 rebounds. And obviously DeRozan has a pretty good job sort of getting himself um, in the mid-range and, and to the cup. So just, I don't know, probably an, an interesting one to see sort of the interior defense of the Clippers. You know, it's something that, although Zubats and Hartenstein can contribute in that department, they're not exactly all-world defenders. So, um, yeah, and it, it does put a premium on guys like um, like Paul George, uh, like Norman Powell and like Terrence Mann and these sort of guys making sure that, you know, their per- perimeter defense is up to scratch um, against some of these players. Although in, in saying that, I don't think there's not a lot of wings really in the Western Conference who are going to cook in the playoffs, I think. Um, you know, unless you're sort of talking about this is a matchup match with Dallas on the horizon um, and they've got to go against Luka. Um, you know, most of the sort of the dominance of, of the teams they might go against in the postseason if they get out of the plane, you know, and then really be worrying about guards and um, and bigs. So probably just one to sort of keep an eye out sort of, and we'll, we'll talk about the matchup um, in a little bit. But yeah, going against Minnesota should be an interesting game. It's interesting. You talked about the getting beat on the offensive glass a little bit against Chicago. And the, the first thing I thought about was if you can put Zubac near the rim, he's a good defender and he's a good rebounder, but they've got Vucevic who can pull Zubac away from the rim. Um, and that's where the, that's where the Clippers, Ty Lue being the schematic coach he is, might have to have a think about how you integrate someone like a Robert Covington who's one of the better weak side shot blockers for a, a wing in the league. Um into that defensive scheme, if you're going to have, if you're going to be playing against Carl Anthony Towns, who is going to be pulling Zubac about as far away from the rim as any big man in the league can. Um, speaking of Robert Covington, I think my experience with this with this Bucks Clippers game was was pulling out my phone and, and looking at the score and thinking, oh, okay, good win for the Clippers. And my first thought was, oh, you probably <laughs> had a big night from Reggie Jackson or someone like Luke Kennard probably just got scorching hot. I gotta say, I was pretty shocked to see Robert Covington dropping forty-three and eight, franchise record eleven threes, <laughs> NBA season high uh, for the eleven threes for any player. Apparently, the only player to have forty-three points, eleven threes, eight boards, and at least three blocks in the same game. We'll also touch on Amir Coffey's thirty-two at uh, the thirty-two and seven um, as well shortly, but. Isn't it great to see Robert Covington, as someone who's struggled a little bit with his three-point shot since leaving Philadelphia, find that uh, find that hot stroke and just keep stroking it to the cows come home, Nick. <laughs> oh dear, the timeline's going to go nuts for that one. Um, no, it was it was excellent. Um, that was such a wild game to watch. Like it was the it was the Roko versus Jordan Wara show. Um, as we all expected um, when tuning into a bucket a Bucks Clippers game. So, um, yeah, obviously players left out, left out right and center. And, um, yeah, Rocco went off. Um, ended up being, what was it, the only player apparently in NBA history to have at least 43 points, 11 threes, eight boards, and three blocks in the same game. So, yeah, just uh, Rocco's out there creating history. And... <laughs> It's pretty wild of all like all players to have like a franchise record for Clippers. Can, can you think about the Clippers have had some pretty damn good shooters um in the last few years? Um JJ Reddick couldn't get it. He's uh 
is being usurped by Robert Covington. And, um, yeah, I think that was pretty cool. It was just a fun game to watch, and they just kept shooting, and they wanted to keep shooting, and because they, they ended up being a franchise record for threes as well in the game, and and the franchise record for for points scored in a in a clash. I'm also, I think, yeah. So it was kind of just you know livened up the atmosphere of what would have been a pretty dull game in terms of you know both sides reserve squads battling it out, but. Yeah, and I think as well, just to give him some confidence heading into the postseason, massive, um, you know, because he's still someone who's got very much a role to play. Um, him and Batum can really offer different sort of 3 and D prospects. Um, and yeah, just gives Tyler another weapon to use. Um, and he's got a lot of them, but yeah, if, if Roko's getting some confidence back in his three-point shot to hitting, heading into the postseason, that's a, another big tick for the Clippers. He was he was just tremendous and taking some threes that he doesn't usually take, which is always good to see. No. Someone that's <laughs> really hot as well. Um, like I mentioned, big game for Amir Coffey, 32 and 7 assists, 23 for Luke Kennard, 14 and 10 for Hartenstein. Um, they as a total went 23 of 43 from deep. It was it was great to see, you know, the the depth of the Clippers who with all of the big players out in that game, the Clippers do have a lot more depth than the Bucks. And I, I do think that showed. Um yep. Also worth mentioning, strong win over the over New Orleans, who are not an easy opposition at the moment because maybe they're, I think they're settled now in their spot, but up until recently, they were striving hard um, yeah. to make sure they were going to get as deep as possible into this play. And so they had seven, ga- seven players in double figures, again, showing their depth. Uh, Marcus Morris uh, stepped up to 22. He's always one that's capable of going for 20 or 30 on a given night. Um, our boy Zoobs with 16 and 14. Uh you know, big strong night as well on the inside, and it, it's good to see. Um, this this Clippers team just, you know, I obviously made a pretty big call about them in Memphis on the pod recently, yeah. but they, they just feel dangerous. I feel like no one wants them. Um, are they gonna Are they gonna win the finals? I couldn't imagine it. Are they gonna get that far? I couldn't imagine it, but I really wouldn't want them if I was sitting somewhere up the top in the West right now because um, they're looming and dangerous. A hundred percent, they are the the dark horse that is playing some good ball at the best time possible. Um, so we'll we'll see sort of how things shake out. Um, well, in terms of the, the playing game with Minnesota, Lou, how do you sort of see this one shaping out there? Clippers uh, have a, what, 3-1 uh, record for the season series. Um, did lose a game in their last game against them on the 4th of January um, where, you know, an interesting lineup of well, the classic sort of Clippers lineup of sort of around the time when we you're seeing James Ennis, current Laker Wenyan Gabriel, Keon Johnson, Justice Winslow, and Xavier Moon getting some major minutes. Um lost that one by eighteen, but also key in that one, no cap. Um it was more Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels and Torian Prince getting the job done. How do you kind of see a matchup like this going? Where do you think that the Clippers can take advantage of a little bit of the Timberwolves? I mean, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is they're going to, if Paul George is running or Reggie Jackson's running a lot of pick and rolls, the way they've operated schematically this year, the Timberwolves, is they're going to hedge that hard as opposed to the, the very aggressive drop that they used to run. Uh, with Cat, which wasn't working. So so Cat's definitely throwing himself a lot more at ball handlers to try to get it out of their hands, potentially try to force a turnover. 
Um, you know, ideally for the Clippers, Reggie Jackson's the one running those pick and rolls, so he can spray it out to to Paul George or someone like that. The, the benefit, of course, being is outside of McDaniel's, they don't have a, a big wing well positioned to guard uh, Paul George. I mean, Anthony Edwards has certainly got the strength for it, but he doesn't have the defensive discipline at the moment. I think with this game, when I look at it, is you've got so many players with so much offensive firepower. You've got, you know, Anthony Edwards, you've got obviously Carl Anthony Towns and even D'Angelo Russell, all capable of just getting scorching hot and going for 35 or something. And, and this is the beautiful thing with these one-game scenarios. Mm. Um, and then the same on the Clippers side of him. We talk about Paul George. Obviously, Reggie Jackson can get absolutely scorching hot. And then there's a bunch of other guys on that side as well, whether it's Powell, whether it's Morris, um, whether it's Canard, whether it's Covington, we can say that now. Um, they've got a bunch of guys that could just get really hot and, and decide this game. So there's a lot schematically you could go through in a seven-game series. I think it's just going to be a matter of, of who holds their nerve under pressure and gets the shots to go in a one-game setting, Nick. Yeah, I think it's, it could be a bit of a shootout. I think I would not be surprised. Um that's probably the thing that um, I'm probably, I don't know, half looking forward to. But uh, we'll see, considering both teams really like to jack up threes. Um, you know, Clippers, I'm surprised actually sometimes how low, low they are. But um, in the last in their last three games, they're sort of getting up about just over 40 a game. Minnesota have led the league in three-point attempts all season. Um, so, yeah. Expect a few to go up. Um, I think that what will probably phase the the Timberwolves a little bit. The Clippers have got a lot of sort of savvy, rangy defenders to throw at a guy like Anthony Edwards, to, to throw at a guy like D'Angelo Russell. Um, so I think that'll be really important. And I think if, you know, the Clippers can kind of just slow Cat down enough, I don't think they're, they're, they're going to stop him. Um I could 100% see him going for 40 in that game, or even more potentially, as he's shown that he can do this season. They need to try to make life a lot harder for him, but if, but also potentially whether it's you know through a combination of Zubes and Hartenstein trying to battle him, sort of you know more one to one, or if they try to take advantage a little bit, and as we've seen sort of the Clippers do against a team like Dallas in the playoffs, um, going a lot smaller, playing a bit of Morris at the five. Um, and rolling out with guys like Batum or Covington, where we previously mentioned, it's good that I think Ty Lue's just got a few different cards that he can play uh, versus um, what the Timberwolves can probably do, which is why I'd be leaning towards the Clippers. In saying that, you know, tough road game, and you're playing against one of the best guys in his position um, in the league. So it, it really could go either way. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game. Uh, like you said, I probably favor the Clippers, but that game could definitely go either way. And whatever it's going to happen, I suspect it will be a good watch. Now, keep an eye yeah. out for Patrick Beverly getting himself chucked at some point from that game as well. Yes, um, the revenge game. Absolutely. I, I want to talk about your Golden State Warriors, Nick, who, boy, did they do a number late on the Utah Jazz. Um, yeah. And I have no foot in the Jazz camp, so I, I didn't feel upset watching that. What I did enjoy was watching Clay Thompson go for 36 points, boosted by eight of 17 from three. It felt like a vintage Clay game. We'll talk about the efforts of Paul and Wiggins and Draymond and even Gary Payton shortly. But taking out the Utah collapse side of it, obviously, given they're not the team that we covered, 
Golden State, that one was a real feel-good win, and you could tell that Steve Kerr really enjoyed that one, Nick. They needed it. It was a really, really necessary game. They'd been sort of stalling a little bit in the last couple of weeks. They were starting to really potentially slide down the standings, but you know that ended up being a really good win in terms of that. They're getting themselves in. You know they'll get home court. It looks like in the first round, which is big. Um, and hopefully get themselves a better matchup, whether that's against, you know, a team like a team like Denver or a team like if the Jazz, you know, sort of slot back into that spot. Um, I think it was really important. Um, Clay obviously starting to get a little bit of, I would say confidence, but he has not lacked in confidence since he stepped back out on a basketball court. But um, at least trying to get a little bit of efficiency back going just because that's, I don't know, that's been a little bit of a, it's a, it's a talking point, at least when, you know, they've maybe gone to Clay or Clay or Clay has gone to Clay um, late in games when maybe Jordan Poole's probably been the better option considering his consistency over the last probably four or so weeks um, has been maybe something to talk about. But no, I think, yeah, Clay was really good late. Um, they certainly uh, needed him to do that. And they're going to need nights like that, um, obviously, is... Uh, you know, Steph has, you know, been ru- been ruled out to you know, not come back before the re- uh, the regular season finish. They weren't sure if it was going to get a um, he might have got a couple of games to sort of warm into things. But um, yeah, I think they're sitting in in a, in a much better spot than maybe they were a week and a bit ago. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think the key thing with you know, obviously, it's hard to describe with Clay because you're right; he's had confidence, well, at least it's looked like he's had confidence since he's come back, but you know, we've seen what Clay can do before in, in the playoffs. Obviously the, the big one everyone thinks of is that game six, in OKC all those mm-hmm. years ago. But I think if deep down in him, he knows he's still got it in him with games like this, then that could go a long way. Um, when you're asking for someone like Clay to step up in a big playoff game, unlike, you know, a younger guy like Jordan Poole, who also doesn't lack in confidence generally, um, but it's good to have those experienced heads feeling themselves. Jordan Poole did have 31 points and slightly inefficient, but um, and six assists to go with, you know, a very efficient night from Wiggins. Draymond was good with his playmaking. You got 10 points and obviously stout defense from Gary Payton off the bench as well. The lead for Utah was what? It was 103.87 with, I think, 7.54 left in the fourth when Gobert had dunked the ball. Yes, the Jazz collapsed, but hey, the Warriors could end up meeting with the Jazz, so it's probably just as good for them to see that. And we don't cover the Jazz, but there's a lot of concerns over them at this point with the way that yes, yeah, they they could be I, I, they they would be primed for a sloppy first round exit, I'd say, at the way things are going. Um, mm. The Warriors also had a big win over the Kings, and yes, it's worth mentioning that we'll touch on the Kings shortly. They're not really trying at the moment, but. Uh, Clay was resting in that game. We got 25 from Wiggins, uh, who started to come around a little bit. 19 off the bench from Bear Leeds. It's a Bear Leeds a revenge game after he's looked like a bit of a corpse <laughs> recently. Um, 17 from Kaminga as well. He, he continues to show when he gets given enough minutes, he'll give you a game that really excites you every couple of games, which is nice to see. They're now sitting half a game ahead of the maps. So they're one of these teams where, unlike, let's say, the position phoenix are in where they've got uh, a bunch of games coming up you mentioned the game they're playing against the lakers they have some decisions to make as far as how much rest they want to give for guys like draymond and clay uh whether they'll there'll be this seeding jockeying where you know 
how much are Dallas trying to win, how much are the Warriors trying to win. Mm. This is this is the mathematical point of the season that has really gotten more accentuated as the year as the years have gone on. We saw some really interesting stuff at the end of last year where the I believe it was the Clippers um basically trying to do everything they could to lose a game against the Thunder who were trying to do everything they could do to lose as well. It was just there's gonna be some uncomfortable games in the last couple yep. of days here. But uh they have pulled ahead of the Mavs, uh sitting half game up there and the, their fate is somewhat in their own hands, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably touch on that a little bit later when we come back to the takes. Uh, I want to talk about the Kings to wrap it up here. So they followed up their two wins against the Rockets um, with two losses against the Pelicans and the Clippers. But I'm more interested now at this point with this team about what we see. We keep talking about what you want to see. We want to see glimpses of guys. Uh, I'm going to say no more than Damian Jones had 17 and 20 in his last two games. We'll circle back to that one later. But I want to talk to you about Davion Mitchell who's mm. getting some more reps at point guard. He had 17 assists against the Pelicans, nine assists against the Golden State Warriors. It's funny because I feel like Sacramento have got this awkward scenario where they had Halliburton who played better when he got to play point guard with Fox. Yeah. And now you're looking at Davion and going, he seems to play better when he's on the ball, which is what he did when he was at Baylor as well. And I get that if his three-point shooting comes along, he could be a decent two guard. <sighs> It's, it's good for the Kings to see this, but it's also equally conflicting. Uh, but it does potentially give them the option to boost his trade value if they decide they really want to pivot away from a second point guard in the offseason, Nick. Yeah, I think it, it puts them in a an interesting but advantageous position rather than the other way, rather than a, uh, a negative situation um, with Mitchell. I think he's too good to trade, but I'm a bit worried about him as a starter in this league considering... The point guard that he plays alongside is certainly not known for his defensive chops, at least on a regular enough basis in the league and based on the evidence that we've seen thus far. Um, But it it is encouraging. I I still think that, you know, as much as I would have liked to see a three-guard lineup with Fox Halliburton and Mitchell to uh, to the whole season, basically, as soon as it looked like postseason might not have happened. Um, I'm still thinking that Mitchell is best served to come off the bench um, as a as a lead guard to spell Fox. Um, I certainly think there's combinations that you could play him in. It really depends on the wing situation that they need to sort out for next year. You know, if you know a, a three a three person lineup of Fox, Mitchell, and DiVincenzo as kind of your your point guard through small forward is interesting. Um, but then it puts a lot of pressure on Sabonis and whoever decides to take that fourth spot, if Harrison Barnes is still there or not. Um, so it's interesting. I think that, you know, Mitchell's shot is, I think, yeah, I think that his on-ball skills are a lot better and we've seen that sort of come to the fore more. I, I'm not sure if I trust his three-point shot enough to be like a really awesome coming off screens and pin down three-point shooter without the ball in his hand. Um, and particularly, and, and I don't think that'd be as big of a deal if the ball didn't, if you had a center who was not DeMontis Sabonis, who was really good with the ball in his hand and the offense flowing through him a little bit more. Um, it does, you know, sort of put the question around like, you know, it's having three ball handlers out there and then 
whoever else is filling the other two spots gets interesting. So I'm keen to see sort of what Mitchell's role looks like um, heading into next season. It's certainly good that we've seen a, you know, an extended look at his, his some more on-ball reps. But I think, yeah, it just sort of puts a premium on the Sacramento front office making the right decisions around these sort of guys. That leads me into my final point here for the, the Kings, which is they have the seventh worst record in the league. And unless Portland decide to stop playing the weird rotation that they're playing, um, I think it will stay that way. The Kings fans have to cross all of their fingers and toes that they jump up in this draft lottery here. Not that, Look, I've, I've only done a little bit of draft research now, but it, it definitely seems like there's three or four names that are getting talked about, then a little bit of a drop-off, um, which is the case in probably 60, 70% of drafts. But, you know, mm. what they could do if they were able to add uh, a Jabari or uh, a Chet or a Paolo, as opposed to kind of taking a little bit more of a stab with, let's say, the seventh or eighth pick. I also trust this front office more when the pick is blatantly obvious than... Uh, leaving it up to chance. Like Monty McNair hasn't been a better drafter than previous front office uh, representatives of the Kings, but mm. time for them to start really buckling down, doing some scouting and having a good think about the long-term vision of this roster, I think. A hundred percent. I think there's some options that will be sort of in that mid-lottery position that could help Sacramento out. I mean, AJ Griffin, I think would be a really good fit um, yeah. based on, my very limited college basketball experience. Um, I think he'd be, you know, an okay shout, you know, if they're going, I don't know, more sort of guard forwardy vibes, if you're going to go with someone like a Shaden Sharp or Benedict Mather and these sort of guys. Um, but, you know, if they ended up with a guy like, I think Griffin would be really, really handy. Um, if they're going to try to, I think, yeah, sort of trying to find a, a, a slot to fit it, you know, really positions two through four. Um, I think is the, is the premium. If you've got Fox and Sabonis as your locks to build around, I think every other position on this roster is malleable and you just want to get the best talent available. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll I think it'd be pretty interesting to sort of see where they go with him. And obviously, you, you talk about Jabari Smith, it'd be an ideal if they could get him to go with Sabonis, but um, we'll kind of see how it shakes out. But yeah, it, it, it really, we talk about the importance of nailing your draft picks. Um every single year that Sacramento missed the playoffs, it puts a premium on these decisions that the front office are making, not only with the players that they're recruiting in terms of handing out contracts to and free agency and making trades, but they need to nail the draft and we'll have to see where the, where the lottery slots the Kings. Spot on. And from an excitement perspective for us, Nick, it does give us a, a team that's going to be nice and deep in that lottery uh, and yeah. in the Pacific division, someone to look at with the Lakers definitely not maintaining their pick. It will probably likely end up with the Pelicans now. Um, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with scorching lukewarm or chili and the Avica Zubac unsung hero of the week award, which is getting hotly contested as we get to the end of the season. Pacific Post-Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. And we're back with scorching lukewarm or chilly. Nick, I'm going to kick off here because this one is probably close to your 
part a little bit more, and we maybe danced around the topic before. Uh, I think it's time for the Warriors to set the intentional tank in motion to try to line up with the Utah Jazz in round one. Oh, okay. I'll, I'd be sitting at a a nice little lukewarm spot. Uh, obviously, the two matchups present very different things um, for the Warriors. Denver, probably the tougher option given they have a very likely MVP on in their squad in their midst. What? How are we sort of going to go about doing this tanking? Um, and why particularly do you like the matchup with Utah more for the Warriors? One, as I said, I think Utah are primed to be like a five game out in the first round, followed by trade rumors surrounding everyone on that roster. Um, I think they're combustible to the point that if you if you punch them hard in the first two games at home, I'm not sure how much they've got left. And yes, Utah in Utah has always been a tough matchup and that crowd will come and they'll be loud. Um, I don't like being against Jokic. I, I'm a I'm a pretty big believer in that you, you don't want to be in a playoff series where you're, you don't have the best player in the game. And look, you can argue Steph versus Jokic, but if Steph's coming back from an injury, that's pretty clearly Jokic's mantle for that series. Uh, and the fact that they could beat them without Steph is yeah. a positive to me. It gives them a sign that maybe they could do it a couple of times in the playoffs. And they can switch everything probably probably two through five. Uh, you know, Gobert just doesn't post anyone up. And I mean, I'd even I'd even have a crack at switching Steph on him and see if he does it because <laughs> he just won't post anyone up. And Donovan Mitchell, as much as I, I like him, isn't really going to throw the ball to Rudy to give him the chance to do so either. So I think I think that's probably more the thing. And certainly yeah. Gobert will get in positions where he should take advantage. There was a, so many clips in that Warriors Utah game that. Gobert was screaming. He'd sealed off, you know, Jordan Poole multiple times and Clay and got himself in a really good positions. And yeah. Um, and I can't remember whose account posted it. It's going to be really annoying me. But I think um, it was like after a foul and Donovan Mitchell sort of flicked the ball up. It might have been the end of the game, end of a quarter or something like that. And then he's just sort of fling the he's flung the ball. Um, it's hit the backboard and it's landed in Rudy Gobert's hands. And they counted that as like, Oh, a rare um, Mitchell to Gobert assist. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so yeah, no, but I think you're right. I think just the positional matchups, um, I think uh, excellent. I'd be a bit worried about maybe Jordan Clarkson giving the Warriors some strife on the offensive end potentially. Um, but, you know, I, I trust Wiggins enough to, um, you know, concentrate his, uh, you know, energy to the defensive end on a guy like Mitchell, um, you know, to sort of have Clay and him have a crack at him. I think Draymond really matches up well um, with Gobert, can still take away a lot of his stuff. And uh, I'd be remiss to to not mention um, the, the penitentiary that is uh, Kavon Looney um, and how well he's done and sort of locking up a lot of bigs over the last month or so. Um, so, yeah, no, I think matchup-wise, you bang on. They'll just be interested to see how tactical the Warriors get with it. They do have the, the excuse of, we have a lot of old guys that need rest. So, Absolutely. And Luca might be jockeying for, you know, a normal NBA spot or, um, you know, even even trying to sniff his way onto fourth or fifth place on an MVP ballot. So he's going to be certainly a bit more motivated, I think, on the back end of the year. Uh, you've got uh, a take that I think is going to lead to a, an interesting conversation. 
about our decimated Los Angeles Lakers, Nick. Yep. I, as much as I think that there's going to be more changes off the basketball court than on uh, heading into this offseason, I think it might be different by the trade deadline. And I think that one of the Lakers' big three will be traded by the next trade deadline. Um, I think I think it's lukewarm and purely because it it's very open to interpretation. If LeBron's traded, it's only going to be at his own request, not because LeBron isn't tradable, but because mm. an organization I don't think wants to go through. The, the, the Lakers are bigger on we we protect our superstars, we bring them in. Kobe legacy passed over to LeBron. I, I don't think they want to trade him against his will, even though they could probably get some value for him. It's a, it's an AD or Russ question to me. Yeah. Uh, I think if LeBron was ever to request a trade as well, he would do it in an offseason. Um, so he could then have a better say about how his new team constructs a roster. But it's tough. I mean, as we've, we've gone through so many machinations of that, of how to trade Westbrook and how you get it done. And the Houston are probably always going to be there, but the Lakers don't like that offer. I mean, they might get their hand forced. Anthony Davis is interesting that the Knicks yeah. are rumoured. Don't rule out if Chicago have a disappointing first round exit that you know maybe Demar goes back there in exchange for the longevity of Anthony Davis or there's there's something like that that works and Chicago would also be willing to throw the kitchen sink of picks a bit more because that's where he's from. Yeah, I think you're right. It's just such a hard this has such a hard way to figure out how the Lakers do this and get and keep the same amount of talent whilst getting a better fit. Yeah, it's. I think next year is like I, I genuinely think next year, but um, I don't think you'll get traded the deadline. I think next year will be LeBron's lasting for the Lakers. I'd be very surprised to see him there another year. That's why I think that say Anthony Davis, his body is doing its usual things at the start of the season. He's, he might not be playing as many games, might just be some little niggles, might miss a game here and there. And the Lakers are maybe just chilling around 500 over, the, say, the first 20-odd games of the season. If that keeps going, I, in maybe an effort to try to keep LeBron around, and depending on who's in the front office, to be honest, I could 100% see the Lakers maybe doing something a little bit crazy with AD and just sort of trying to sell somewhat high on what the idea of him as a player and we're not as removed from Orlando Anthony Davis. So I know that's a pretty wild thing to say, but I can 100% see it's him like Chicago having a ping at him and throwing it, you know, young assets like Patrick Williams or, you know, an Io DeSumo or something like that. Um, the problem is whether, you know, the Lakers are going to really want to do that to get some young guys back around LeBron as much as I think youth is a little bit of the answer rather than going with the, you know, the old folks home roster that they went with this season. Um, they need to get enough talent back. That is going to make an immediate impact rather than building for their future. Um, or that is so certain that LeBron's not going to be there next season that they completely start putting their chips towards the future rather than the present. So I don't know. It's going to be a really interesting season in Lakeland as it always is. But I think particularly is sort of the, you know, it's it's striking eleven uh, on the clock of uh, LeBron's stint at a uh, um, in a purple and gold jersey. So we'll see what happens. Um, flicking over to our big award, the Avita Zubats Award, Luke. Um, why don't you fire off 
with uh, who you think has been underrated in the Pacific Division of late? Yeah, look, I mean, he's got lots of lots of praise um, for his mainly his one game, but he's been awesome defensively as well. Uh, it's Robert Covington. Uh, you know, we we talked about it enough during the game he had against Milwaukee, but there's also a bunch of stats that showed up about guys that average a certain number of blocks and steals. I think I cannot remember the precise number; it's going to kill me, but it's it's averaging close to two blocks and steals per game. And he was he was up there with guys like Matisse Tybal and um, you know, all world company in that regard. Uh, it's the positional versatility he offers Ty Lu. Um, it's the fact that he's finding his shooting form back. So, yep, shout out to the once overrated, now underrated Robert Covington. Yeah, good shout. I think, yeah, it did get to a point where, you know, so he was an underrated player in Philly and then sort of got across to Minnesota and then in Houston. And then probably we over sort of estimated his defensive abilities, maybe a little bit particularly considering the situation in Houston and the lack of defensive presence he probably had around him and how much sort of up he had to play. Same sort of situation in Portland where you've got, you know, you've got Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum as your perimeter guys. And it's just like basically like a green light to go right past them and, and put Covington in a lot of action, which is not really his bag. Um, but no, I still think that he's, a, as you said, an incredibly valuable asset on the right team. And I think that he is on the right team uh, in the Clippers. So it's good to see him in a good situation again. Absolutely. And I know you're going to really enjoy this one, Nick. This is this is someone of the island you've been on for a long time, and this must have been a fun week for you. Yeah. Um, he's a guy, you know, for, for a team that still trying to work out the rest of their roster and who's going to be there for a bit of time, who's not going to be there. And a very weird front court rotation at the start of the season where you and I were getting a little bit frustrated to see guys like Alex Lennon and Tristan Thompson play over this guy. Um, my Zoobs Award winner for the week is Damian Jones, who's quite frankly been awesome um, in the last probably, yeah, a couple of weeks, really since the 21st um, of last month, which is um, – the game prior to that was the last time that he didn't score in, in double digits, basically in the last 12 games. So some crazy stats as well for you. Um, his uh, restricted area field goal percentage is 82.8%, which is first out of 408 players who have attempted at least 20 shots in the restricted area. During these last 12 games that I talk about, that number has gone up to 89.5%. Man just doesn't miss inside. It's crazy. Um, he's continued to be a scorer. He doesn't take a lot of threes. I would, wouldn't mind him sort of taking the occasional corner three a little bit more. Um, but has just continued to be an absolute, just an absolute monster. Um, you know, he's a super athlete. Um, he's a pretty handy defender. I think he can rebound a little bit better for his size. Um, considering he's been playing 27 minutes a night. But yeah, in these last 10 games, 15.2 points per game, uh, one and a half blocks per game. one and uh, Just over one and a half assists per game, which doesn't might not seem like a lot, but he's someone who can actually be a little bit handy um, with the ball in his hand um, when he's got to make a decision, um, which I will, I will put a lot of credit on the Golden State front office into developing some of those skills rather than the Sacramento coaching staff. Um, and then just under seven rebounds per game. But yeah, going at a pretty handy shooting splits of 70.3% and just under 80% from the line. So now I, I think, 
if Sacramento don't keep him, um, then another team will 100% go and get someone like Damian Jones, who's just, yeah, hyper-athletic, shot blocker, catches lobs, finishes inside, incredibly low-frills type of guy, but someone who could really slot into things um, as a, an NBA player in, in a lot of different situations. Um, you know, someone had a really interesting start to his career, Um in Golden State, I think he's matured a lot since then. Doesn't foul nearly as much as he used to. And, yeah, um, big shout-out to Damien Jones. He's been awesome. It is worth noting that, uh, obviously, we continue this award through the uh, the playoffs. So uh, it is something that is geared towards uh, guys that are in the playoffs. Although those unsung heroes tend to get less and less shine as you get through the postseason. Hmm. Damien Jones has just moved into the lead. The events is very much unsung hero award. He's hotly contested by a couple of players. That the player to keep an eye on here now is Kavon Looney, who big uh, loon dog. Uh, anyone that listened to the podcast is aware of Nick's undying love, and he will be playing a role throughout the playoffs. So perhaps that's the handicap. Hard to tell. Uh, as always, we'll be back next week. We might, and we hopefully should be doing something post game of that Clippers uh, and Timberwolves playing game. Uh, and, of course, there could be a second iteration of that play-in game should the Clippers lose that game. Uh, they'll then face the winner of the Spurs and Pelicans. So we'll definitely try to have some content around that. Uh, you'll definitely hear from us next week. Nick, as always, it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you next time once the postseason has begun. The real season is beginning. We'll see you then.